Hey guys, this is Ronnie and Janelle. Thank you all for joining us on this week's episode of the Takeaway Golf Podcast, where we showcase the people that make golf, helping you discover your golf industry career. This week, we have Derek Lane, Director of Golf at Rolling Hills Country Club in Rolling Hills Estates, California. Tune in as Derek shares his worldwide golf experiences and how he manages to keep his relationships he's made along the way. Yeah, so I went back to small town America. Uh, I actually lived at home. I lived in the basement for a year because I didn't have any money. And I had great parents, so it was never an issue. I I loved being back home. But Minnesota was never going to be the end game. It just wasn't. I knew that early in my life. I was always going to get out. Uh, I don't say that in any derogatory way. I just was never going to live in in farm country. I loved where I grew up. I would never change a thing about my life. But I went back there because it's what I knew. And so I worked at a little little golf course called Interlaken, um, not to be confused with the Interlaken where Bobby Jones was. Um, this one is kind of in southern Minnesota. It's on the lakes uh, down near the Iowa border. I spent three years there under director of golf uh, by the name of Paul Baldus. And Paul just kind of let me be me. It was personality personified. I was the guy that was outside. I did the scorekeeping. I did all of the assistant work that anybody else would do. I was doing my books. And I'm old enough that you still had to do your books with a pen and pen, you know, paper and pencil. So I used to be able to, you know, in the wow. fall and the spring, if it was cold or if it wasn't a very good day, I could crank out two, three hours worth of books while I was at work because they were considered work. And so I loved it. You know, we pulled carts. You had to clean carts in the morning. There were no cart boys at that point. It was a very small little country club. And you did all the work. So you understood, you know, what it was. Your name was on the door. Um, We each had our own parking spot. There were two of us. And so with our names, I mean, carts were clean and clubs were clean. And we regripped and we staged the range. And, you know, you didn't know any better. You just thought it was the greatest job in the world. I think I make $522 every two weeks. I mean, (laughs) It was insanity. I thought I hit the jackpot. I was living at home. I had a car, had a cell phone just came out. Like it couldn't have gotten (laughs) any better. And then uh, I knew that after three years, I wanted to go on to something bigger. So there was a, it was a great kind of um, business club. So town and country is the original home of golf in Minnesota. It's the oldest continuous first tee west of Chicago. And it was 1898, if my memory serves me right, was the first tee. And so it was a very, uh, it was right in the middle between Minneapolis and St. Paul. So the, the brother and sister of the cities, this was smack dab in the middle of those two right on the Mississippi river. So it's a very small, beautiful little golf course. It's very reminiscent. If you know, La Jolla, it's kind of in the same mm-hmm. vein of La Jolla and San Diego. It's kind of on this odd piece of property. It kind of goes up and around and you kind of have some fun shots, but it was more about the fact that a lot of people that would be doing business between Minneapolis and St. Paul, both of the uh, both sides of the city would come there. A lot of Minnesota, University of Minnesota people. So it was a great meeting spot. So you had quite a great membership, nothing I'd really ever seen before. It was a very professionally run golf club. Uh, I had a great general manager in George Carroll. Uh, the head professional Terry Hogan was great. And then he left and retired and then they hired Mike King. So I got lucky to kind of be under three or four really good people in the industry at the time. Uh, and then Woodhill called and Woodhill would be, Kind of the high-end private on the west side of Minneapolis. A lot of CEOs, um, so like the CEO of Honeymead, of Honeymead, Honeywell, 3M. Um, wow. A lot of the higher-end companies, a lot of the really beautiful homes on Lake Minnetonka, kind of suburbia in Minneapolis. Very, very, very ultra family private golf course on uh, Donald Ross Golf Course, original Ross design. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with the membership. 
I spent five glorious years there. I was the director of instruction, also worked as an assistant. I taught a lot of golf. So one of the last things I felt I needed to do before I took the less step to be the head professional, I wanted to teach. I wanted to really put some time in. Uh, I wanted to figure out what it was like to be on the lesson tee. Uh, I wanted to figure out if that was ever going to be a path. You know, even when I became a professional, I wanted to be the best teacher I could possibly be. So the business acumen was was kind of starting to be understood as, as I could. And I, I got all of the organization side of it. My books were done. I was a class A and all of the things that you could have hoped for. I traveled extensively with this membership. We went everywhere. And thankfully for me, they were members of a lot of the great clubs across the world. So I really kind of really came into my own at Woodhill. It will always kind of be the place that, that changed from a, from a passion to a true career. It, it, it taught me what it was like to be around really high-end business people, how to dress, what it meant to shine your shoes, what it meant to sleep, you know, to iron your clothes every day, to always be mm-hmm. shaven. And it really kind of set the, the, the path for me from not wanting to always just be the assistant. Ah, you know, it's Sunday. I'm not going to shave today. We're going to go to the bars tonight as a 23-year-old kid. Now I'm in my late 20s and I want to make this, you know, into a really high-end job. And at the time I was at Woodhill, the quarry called. And the quarry being a Tom Fazio, top 100 club in America, just my heaven. You know, it was the minute I walked on property, I knew it was the place I was going to be for the rest of my life. And that was my thought process. I mean, who thinks that at 30, 31, like, hey, this is where you're going to be. But uh, I didn't even interview on property. I interviewed over the phone. I sent some of my calligraphy and some of my scoreboards to them. They asked for that. They asked for a couple of things and they hired me through word of mouth. And I showed up one day and I was with Corey. So, you know, for wow. five years, it was Woodhill and the Corey and I had the best of all worlds. I, I, yeah. I didn't, you know, you're working 300 days a year and you did not care one bit. It was heaven. As I, you keep using that word because both of these places had, you had Minnesota roots and then you had California kind of pizzazz. And, you know, the quarry being the best conditioned golf course in, in the world, as far as I'm concerned, it's every year, year in and out, Mark Smith is the best at what he does. And I just couldn't get enough of it. And so here I was, and that's how I got to the quarry. So I tried to start small and then mid-range and then high-end private and then quarry. And from that point, it worked. I wish I could mm-hmm. say I was smart enough to say that was my plan, but I'm not going to sit here and say that. <laughs> I just got fortunate that it just kept going the way I wanted it to. And I made sure that I was, you know, there all the time. Sick days just weren't a part of life. That's not what yeah. we did. And you just couldn't miss anything. And I, I just, I've had so many good people like Phil Reith and George Van Valkenburg and all the way up. And you could name a thousand members as you guys are starting to learn now, you know, you just get mm-hmm. these people, they all touch you in a certain way. And I just, I'm so happy that it went the way that it went. That's what? pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. George Carroll, who I said was at that time was the, was the, uh, he left, uh, town or country went to Interlochen, but we stayed very close friends. And George Carroll had some connections in the quarry. He, at that time, him and his wife were both national presidents of the the uh, club managers association. So both of them were very, very, very well known nationally. Spent summers, or excuse me, spent some of their winter time in Palm Springs, the Quinta area. And I just always tried to keep in touch with George and Linda because they were just so good at what they did. I mean, mm-hmm. who has two people from Minneapolis where they're both, you know, national presidents of the CCM? And they just, they got it, you know, and they were, they were great. So they made some calls. I got a phone call, had a phone interview, um, did a couple of things, right. I guess in the phone interview, sent in my calligraphy, which at that time we didn't use computers. So, you know, if you had hand calligraphy and you could do numbers in yeah, kind of a certain way, like they do on tour, it's not easy, <laughs> but you know, it's one of those curses. Handwriting is a great thing until people figure out yours is nice. And then it's a curse because you do everything. Yeah. So yeah. That's I true. You got to do all the scoreboards. Yeah. <laughs> 
So you, you know, it's a lot easier. You just go to the plot printer now and you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about it. But it was yeah. great because it was a wonderful in along with my teaching resume and a lot of the other clubs I was at. So it worked. And, and from that point, you know, they trusted the reference list and away we went. That's pretty cool because what we're kind of what you, you touched on, what we're learning about, you know, the people in the golf industry, word spreads pretty fast. And, you know, we're all trying to help each other out in the industry too. And it's pretty cool that, you know, you have this connection on the other side of the country and it, it's brought you over here to this side of the country. So, well, it's almost kind of naive, you know, naivete actually has a little bit to do with it because again, I literally grew up in a town of thousand people. I knew everybody, mm-hmm. everybody knew you, you don't have a lot of that thing, but you have that virtue of what it's like to be respectful. I had great parents. I'm one of those people that wouldn't change a thing because where I came from was all about respect. And that's just the way we lived our life. And I'm glad I was raised in the way I was. It's no better than anybody else, but it really did help because it's rooted in what we do professionally. You know, it's, as I say all of the time, and Jamal hears it quite often, they have bag tags, we have name tags, and you just can't ever cross that line. And so I don't have a problem with it. I love my job and I will always love what I do. It's way different now. It's completely different with social media. Automatic electronic communication is a different world. You know, phones used to be our world. Now phones are not nearly as as important in the everyday business of what we do as much as emails or texting. So you have to evolve to success. It's never coming to you. Um, and, And how you do that is kind of how you're raised. And I tell everybody, I'm not a parent, but if you want to change the world, I, I've just always said, I think you should be a parent because that's the best way. So I, I'm, I'm incredibly happy that I got to use Minnesota's roots in California because I wanted to go where the sun was. I didn't want to be in the snow. I mean, I never yeah. want to go back when it's cold. I love playing golf near Christmas. I love Thanksgiving weekend out here. I love all about it. And it just doesn't change because you have this aspect to be outside. You know, that's just a huge thing. And you don't have to be bundled up to do that. Um. Going from Woodhill to the quarry and you're in the process of becoming a head pro, right? But you were able to bypass that and become the director of golf. So what happened is, is I was hired as the first assistant um, in 2001. So funny thing, mm. just after 9-11 happened, uh, I left yeah. and went down there and obviously the world was very, very somber. Uh, and then I arrived and I just arrived to Shangri-La. Like I knew about the quarry, but I didn't know that it actually could exist in the, in the right. state that it did. And when I, when I got there, I was an assistant. So I was an assistant for a few years. And then in 05, um, the head professional Tony Gill got an opportunity to be the director of golf up north in Northern California. And then they promoted me to the head golf professional. And then two years later, the director of golf, George Van Valkenburg, was offered an amazing position um, in Oregon near, near Bend. And this was just before kind of the world fell out in 2008. So George took that. And, you know, they took the, they rolled the dice on a 32 year old kid at the quarry and the rest mm-hmm. was history. I just, it was my, I just, I'd never wanted anything more. I never thought something like that would be possible, but it was also, not only was it the dream, it was more fun to do than you actually could have anticipated. Right. Yeah. So now that you've been a DOG at, at three different clubs, what are like the main differences between these, these clubs or is, is talking about like environment um, anything? Well, you know, it was different because in the quarry in the early 2000s, um, money was so available. And what I mean by that, stocks were huge. Most of the members at that time were all in private planes. Um, they were all driving the amazing cars. The desert, when I got there in 2001, if anybody's familiar with the desert, uh, when you take a ride on Washington towards PGA West and get to get to the quarry, 
there was nothing on the left-hand side of the road. They were just grading at that time what was Country Club of the Desert, which became the hideaway. So imagine in my time in 2001, driving up to the quarry, everything to the left of Washington was, a, was basically just ranch housing or sand dunes. And by the time you got to 2008, it was completely almost built all the way down to Andalusia, uh, all the way down past 54th, I think 58th. And it's like, that was seven years. And so with that comes, you know, people were members of the vintage, they were members of Bighorn, mm -hmm. they remembered all these great clubs in the, in the desert because you could get to and from the desert. The quarry is one of the hardest places to get through because you've got to get to PJ West, you've got to go around the little mountain there and you got to go to the back side of it. So, I mean, even for 111, it's still 20 minutes to the quarry. But these guys would bomb down from Bighorn or the vintage because there was no traffic. The desert was a lot sleepier at that point. And then it became so built. Now suddenly you have all of these amazing golf courses. So basically it became to the point where it wasn't necessarily so universal. It was more centralized. You're kind of now you're a La Quinta person or you're a Palm Desert person. Mm -hmm. um, do you, you know, kind of figure out what you're going to do? Do you want to be closer to El Paseo? Do you want to be closer to La Quinta? And that kind of evolved. And then of course, 08 hit and it changed everything. When, when the real estate crash happened, you know, obviously a lot of people had third and fourth homes. Well, the desert took an enormous hit, an enormous hit, and it really changed the thought process of that. So because of that, when I first got to the quarry, there'll never probably be another run in golf like that. I mean, everything was booming. Like, we're busy now, but not necessarily in the way that it was then, because it wasn't about the tour. It was, you know, the hope was a big deal in the desert, but it wasn't about this constant social media output, or you can mm -hmm. kind of be a member anywhere now and go do all of these things. Um, back then, you were, it was everything was in your club, you know, and, and when mm -hmm. I was at, at the quarry, even after tragedy hit, it still was almost one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing I've ever had to do, was to put my resignation in and leave, because if you cut me open today, and again, I love my job at Rolling Hills, I don't want to go anywhere else for the rest of my life, but I probably, if you cut me open, I still believe the quarry, because it's where I was taught. Every essential lesson outside of probably Woodhill came from the quarry and the interaction with the members they're the ones mm -hmm. that kind of steered me at a young age at 32 when i got the job say hey here's how we probably would have handled this here's how we would have went after that here's a great way so i'm learning from captains of commerce on how to do my job how to be a better merchandiser how to be a better business person how to run better events because these people belong to the great clubs of america and you bring a lot of that to you so the desert was the winter getaway and then when I left and went to Rancho Santa Fe, you know, I was going back to my happy place. It's one of my favorite golf courses in the world. It's mm -hmm. in San Diego. I bought a home in Encinitas and geez, what could be better, right? You know, I live in San Diego with all of my great, great friends in the world. I have a home. It's, it's, you know, unbelievable weather. It's a great golf course, but the job just wasn't a fit. Uh, it mm -hmm. just wasn't what I wanted yeah. and I wasn't what they wanted. So you, you, it was kind of the first time in my life I've been very fortunate. Again, I'm going to knock on wood. I've never been released from a contract or let go, not to say that that's a good or a bad thing. So I was just really concerned that the fit wasn't right for me. I came from this really high-end kind of money's not an issue. We'll always make it the best it could possibly be because it's a six-month season. Let's jam it in. Dues are high. Let's make sure it's the best of the best, starting with the condition of the golf course, the Fazio layout, all of those things. And I'm coming to a year-round endless journey of golf where in san diego if surfs up they might not play there might be a better day to hike than to play it's not a culture of membership that i was used to so i like to tell people it's my fault because i came in a little bit blinded i had some tragedy in my life and i was thinking that everything was just going to be as i knew mm -hmm. and i will always be thankful for Rancho santa fe because it made me a better golf professional in every aspect of my life because i didn't then 
I didn't realize how much I didn't know. You know, I knew a yeah. lot about the quarry, but I didn't know a lot about being a golf professional. And Rancho Santa Fe was so what I needed at that time because it showed me how deficient I was in a lot of areas professionally. So that made it very easy for me to know that, okay, I wanted to make it three years. I made it three years. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to take the, the resume hit, but I also felt that three years is the least amount I should spend at the place that I was employed. Mm-hmm. I loved it there. I still love the people. It just wasn't for me. It wasn't the job I was looking for. And then, you know, Greg Sullivan and Rolling Hills called and I, mm-hmm. I took him up here and I took the tour and nothing better in my world than playing golf on the ground. It's how I love to do it. I, I travel quite extensively to Scotland, the UK, and Ireland, in, in Bandon, or in Cabot, whatever it is, if you can put it on the ground, that's the way I want to play it. And I knew that when I was back, and Janelle will know when I was on the 11th, and they were just grading out 11 and 12, and mm-hmm. I saw the tree next to the green, and I saw the old, the, the look, and it was like I was done. I knew I was coming there. I just knew mm-hmm. it at that point. <laughs> and I had had a lot of people from Rolling Hills that were members of mine at the quarry, but I'd also been to the old golf course, of which I, I honestly, and again, not a slight on anything else, it just wouldn't have been for me. I wouldn't have been interested in the old club, but yeah. the new club and being the fact that you get to the point like I did every year in the desert, you start from new. There's nothing better than me than opening and hiring and staffing and then creating a whole culture at a club. That That's the greatest job I could ever get. So that's how I ended up at Rolling Hills. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I. I think I would enjoy that too, just building something from the ground up, like seeing it all come mm-hmm. to fruition. From the beginning. Yeah. Well, and it was a very unique aspect of my life because we did that every year in the desert. Because at that point mm-hmm. we were shut down, you know, you open up second Friday of November and you shut down on Labor or excuse me, Memorial mm-hmm. Day. And then you redo it. You empty the shop out, you go back to zero and you restart everybody else with the yeah. new outside services team and possibly new golf professionals and you know, you just kind of got, you got used to starting over and I yeah. never found that to be a bad thing. You found it to be, Hey, it's a unique way to find new people. So yeah. much like I was lucky enough to found Janelle when we opened, you know, you'd have never thought about that <laughs> thought process if she starts outside. Now she's inside. I mean, yeah. that's kind of why that's such a great thing. Yeah. It's almost like it's like a new year, a new, new school year or something like that. You're starting yeah. all over. It's like the first day. <laughs> yeah. You need to meet new caddies, you you hold all your meetings, your syllabus, your budgeting. It all Mm -hmm. changes because of the previous year. So each year you have kind of a different version of the story uh, in the book and you figure out what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you get better at. So it's it's a little Groundhog's Day-ish at times, Mm -hmm. but it's also what a great, great way to get better at things that you knew you weren't very good at last year. I almost think that um, it's better in some ways just because people are excited. It's like, go, 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 go. But then you know that there's a, a, a downtime. There is an end yeah. point and then you have rest. And then, you know, come again next year. It's, it's bam, bam, bam. Like we're doing rounds and rounds of golf. Well, and so. it was also way easier for me because coming from Minnesota, it's at six in the morning to a 10 o'clock at night, sun up, sun down. So when you go to the desert, especially November, December, January, and February after daylight savings time, the, the sun's behind the mountain at four. So mm-hmm. it's like a full day's of work is kind of a half day of work where I came from. So you could do 6.30 to four and not blink thinking, wow, I get to get out of here at four. This is like heaven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually you just became used to it. But it was just another way that I figured out that in the desert, there was a great way to balance life and being a golf professional. Yeah. Because yeah. You had the summer I, off, I you had the nights. You could go to a movie, you know, when you were in Minnesota, it was Mondays off. And if you were a better player, you played on Mondays. So you traveled around the state and whatever event it was, I didn't do that nearly as much, but 
that was your one day off. And then Tuesday through Sunday, six days a week, you know, they want to pack as much as they can in the great weather. So you're there to, to accommodate that. And it was just a really easier way. I felt like there was a little less stress in my life and I felt there was just a better way to have a family and get married and start that part of all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, during your downtime then, is that when you did a lot of traveling when you were at the quarry, when you guys were uh, shut down? Yeah. So still always been very fond of my Minnesota go for football team. We had season tickets. Mm-hmm. So we would be open Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and at that time, either the locker room attendant, the general manager, myself, one of us was always there. And then if we needed to go, we could travel. You could, you could get away. And then that kind of started to change. After 08, it kind of had less and less of that. We were open more and more to sell memberships and that kind of changed. But yeah, we, we traveled a lot, um, went to a lot of places, spent a lot of time with the members in the summer. And it was, it was just kind of a wonderful perk to being able to kind of then you get back, you couldn't wait to take care of them when the season opened again. Right. Being there for 12 years, was it hard to separate from them considering that you've, you've invested all these in relationships with these members? Like, how did you not it, get it, attached? It was. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, exactly. How could you not? I mean, it, it's just, there are people that are from the quarry and there are people from Woodhill that are still an enormous part of my life that I talk to on a weekly or monthly basis. Mm-hmm. A lot of them at that point, and imagine being in your late 20s, early 30s, and some of these people were featured in fortune or featured in 500 or featured in all these yeah. great magazines about being business, you know, superstars. And all you wanted to do is just to get a little drip of it. You just wanted to get a little offshoot of it. You wanted to get any knowledge you could. And again, I'm that idiot. I'm that dork that talks about it all the time. I'm that guy that wants questions. And, you know, I was always very, I tried to be very helpful in the fact that I didn't want to do it away from work. But when I was at work, I was never afraid to ask a question. And if they told me it was too much, then, then I knew to stop. But I pushed as much as I could, as hard as I could, to get as much out of it as I could. Cause I knew you just never know when it's going to come to an end. And that's one of the things that there were a couple other fellow golf professionals um, that were with me that were kind of in the same boat. I was in the desert. They were in our same age. We're not sure if that was going to be the, the pinnacle of it all, but we wanted to learn as much as we could so that you could continue. And there's still some amazing, some of the best golf professionals in the world are in the desert and they have great lives. And, and I, I still miss a big part of that, but I'm, I'm really happy that that it evolved and we're out of that, we're out of that part of the Coachella Valley and now kind of over on the side of the world. Nice. Um, tell us about the Tracy Lane Foundation. Never an easy transition, is it? I know. Funny. You do enough of these and you see people, you see looking at your guys' eyes going, oh, who's going to ask it? I know. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I know, because we're like, okay, how do we ask into yeah, this? Or do I just go straight into it? So okay. uh, so, I'll just be transparent anyway. with you, so... <laughs> It's okay. Well, you know me. It's just, it's honestly, honestly. And, and um, well, the Tracy Lane Foundation, it, the Tracy Lane Foundation started uh, 2013. Uh, I lost my first wife, who was also a golf professional. She was at the Andalusia Club, and then she went to the Palms and worked for Kirby. And then she just got hired to work for John Miller at the Reserve. And she was diagnosed. We were on a trip with, oh, here we go. We we're on a trip with three other couples uh, to Banda Dunes. And we spent five days there and Trace and I and Mr. Porteous played 36 every day. So we walked 36 That's every crazy. single day. The last day we played um, what we now ref- we call the Tracy trail, which is Bannon in the morning, then lunch with beers and uh, excuse me, Pacific in the morning, then lunch with beers and Bannon in the afternoon. So mm-hmm. we gave back and she needed to get her female checkup and she'd been having some issues um, with some of the female issues in life. And we went in there and, I'm in the waiting room and geez, it's, it's getting to be like an hour and a half. And I'm like, checkups don't taste this long. Mm-hmm. You kind of get that cold realization. I had, I'm sorry. I had them off. I thought 
Um, you get to that point and it is something's wrong. So then the nurse comes out and said, it's just going to be a little longer. And you start getting cold. I'll never forget the shivers on my arms. And then she comes back out and she's got stage 3B cervical cancer. And so here we've come from walking 15 miles a day. And the next day, your wife has cancer. So you just kind of get hit with that and you think, okay, she's six feet tall, beautiful young lady. She's talented. She's athletic. This is all going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And then the further we got into the treatments, the more you kind of learn to age yourself quickly and start listening and taking the wisdom of it all. And we knew pretty quickly that the fight was going to be extremely uphill, uh, even for her. Um, And then we got to the point, which would have been April uh, was the day. So then that day we were coming back home and uh, my doctor and her doctor, excuse me, our doctor uh, pulled me aside and just said, it's, it's probably going to be a terminal diagnosis here soon. And so I said, okay, we were kind of expecting it. She had some kidney failure and some other issues. And so I just said, I would like to be the one to tell her. And so we stopped uh, at Dr. Desai's office in Irvine. Uh, we were treated at Long Beach with the Irvine team. So it was between Long Beach Memorial and UC Irvine at the hospital and we stopped there and then so on April it would have been April 8th is 2013 is the day I told Trace that she was terminal so you kind of learn a lot about life at that point and uh you know there's no other way to say it it just was what it was and you know she obviously tried to do everything we could we we went as radical as we could with certain treatments but there was nothing that was going to change that and to that point we decided uh that June that we would like to start a foundation um, to benefit cervical cancer for younger females, more about HPV, more about checkups, more about, you know, with that time, the guideline is three years. Um, Obviously now, you know, if uh, we've advocated, if you can go yearly, it's just never going to be a big thing. And there's still a lot of things about vaccinations and a lot of things that we let people draw their own conclusions to, but you know, her problem was she just didn't get checked up often enough. And so, Cervical cancer is one of those rare cancers in the world that you should never really pass away from. It should be something that's treatable at hysterectomy at worst, Um, you know, and then you move forward. So unfortunately it didn't work out. So Trace passed at 31 uh, in August of 2013, uh, PGA golf professional. And we had a lot of run there, obviously in the Coachella Valley, the media had kind of taken up the story. A lot of fellow golf professionals and other members, you know, we we raised a, a very large sum of money very quickly. Um, and at that point, I knew that I knew nothing about running a foundation. And uh, I was very lucky for, for Paul Porteous and other people um, to figure out a lot of what it is we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I wanted to make sure that the members of the quarry who gave so much money had a say in how we kind of formed the foundation. And then we decided to give a lot of money back. We did a lot of great things. We had a lot of golf events. We did a lot of fundraising. We, we gave a lot of money for free checkups. We paid for a lot of things across the country. We did a lot. And then, you know, at some point it just got to be too much for me. Um, the cancer talk and all of that was just a lot. You, you eventually want to get on with your life. And, and I'm still very close with her family and I, I, her mother is still a huge part of my life, but you just have to move on. And so that's when I decided to leave the quarry and I went to Rancho Santa Fe, started a new life and had a foundation. We ran it for a couple more years. And then what we did is um, Dr. Nilesh Vora, who is the head of the Todd Cancer Institute at Long Beach Memorial was a huge part of the palliative care team and really kind of extended Tracy's life a few months because he, he was able to get a lot of the pain under control. Mm. Um, so, you know, there were times where the pain was just too much and she just didn't want to go on and he kind of took care of that. So 
he started a, a, a charity called the Bucket List Project. And so then we had about a quarter of a million dollars left. Uh, and then we bequeathed that money to the Bucket List Project. And they still have two things a year. They, uh, we do a big holiday giveaway at Long Beach Memorial that still has Tracy's name on it. And then there's a couple other smaller events that still carry the Tracy Lane name. So it was a great way to transition it to people that are a lot better at it than what I was. You know, I was more of a grieving husband and wanted to do as much as I could for a promise that I made. Right. But as life went on and it just kind of run out of steam as far as a lot of people were just a little just saddened with the news and continuously talking about cancer. So it just kind of got to the point where we were we tried to find the best way to transition it. So we were very proud and very happy to be part of the Bucket List Project. And they give away wishes to terminal adults. Um, so essentially, if you find yourself ill or terminal and you want to do some things, they've got a large group of monetary funds that kind of do that. So it kind of transitioned to what Tracy wanted done with the money. That's awesome. It's crazy. Yeah. I just, I remember you telling me about that when we first started working and I was like, I can't, especially as like a female. Yeah. You, you definitely don't expect to be passing away from that type of cancer. Cause like, as I get older, I don't realize too, cause my mom had, was diagnosed with breast cancer, but she's, she's been um, free of it for the past, I think. I think the past like 10 years now she's been good she's been cancer free oh, so congrats. yeah so it's been, it's been good um so but you know we had a motto that through tragedy comes triumph and a lot exactly, of people's yeah. lives were saved but yeah. uh, by giving up the things and i'm very happy with you know like i said the quarry and a lot of the surrounding clubs where she was at the poems and the reserve so many people gave so much right uh, and it was it was just the outpouring was was insane but the Coachella Valley is not the world's largest place. And, you know, in 2014, I just, I had a great 13 year run and I just knew that I just couldn't talk about cancer anymore. So as hard as it was, I didn't want to leave. I never wanted to leave, but it was the right thing to, for me to do personally for growth and other things. So it's what I had to do. And the rest is history. Yeah. So are you still doing stuff with the foundation? So I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm an honorary board member at the bucket list. I, I took, I was, a, I was a board member for a full year with them. And then, you know what, I just wasn't, I wasn't doing enough. They're such a passionate organization and requires so much work behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't doing enough. So, yeah. you know, I told them that I was just going to take a little time off and, and we have a lot of stuff going on at the new job at Rolling Hills and mm -hmm. we're building a culture there. And it, it's a, like I said, it's an endless journey job when you do it you know, year round and there's no off time. Right. You just, you, you got to pick and choose. And, and, and I'm always going to be there for Dr. Vora, always. I mean, he was amazing. Between him and Dr. Spear, they're just such a huge part of my life because they got me through a lot of it. And they kind of only, they didn't really do everything from a medicine standpoint. They did a lot of it just from a mentorship standpoint, how to deal with grief, right. how to deal with loss, how to deal with pain, how to deal with somebody else being in pain. And so I just always told Dr. Vora, if they need me to come back, I'll be there. I'll always mm -hmm. be there. But I didn't want to push the envelope when I wasn't pulling my weight. That seemed kind of counterproductive. Yeah. I mean, you know, the it, whole, it, yeah. It, it was, it was their passion, you know, mine was my wife and, and theirs is the bucket list. And I'm glad that we could give a lot of the money to them because they deserved it. It's a very, very wonderful charity. It's, it's a huge thing in the South Bay. And I just, I just am so happy they had it, but I think that their passion, if you're in a philanthropic mm -hmm. thought process and you want to be part of a charity, you've got to be all in and, I wasn't, and I didn't think that's fair to the to the to the actual charity of it, itself. Yeah. Well, regardless of whether you're in now, I think that it's just great that you started it in, in the beginning, and and all this came out of it. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that that happened, and I'm sorry that that happened, but it's great to see that 
what what came from it. So I think so, and it was really her wish. You know, I had to talk yeah. her into it. You know, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't something she said. Hey, I'm going to be inspirational, and I'm. It, it wasn't it. You know, she. Was, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. At that yeah. point, she was about 110 pounds, and she was just trying to hang on. And she finally understood what it was all about, and and that mm-hmm. probably was the most courageous thing I've ever done. You know, I'll yeah. never forget when she finally agreed to hospice, and and she just decided that there was a chance to help other people. That's yeah. when it became magical to me. It was never anything until that point. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Leaving with the impact, the positive impact. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. That's what we tried anyway. I think you well, guys succeeded very well. Yeah, so. totally. Well, on a lighter note, um, Janelle tells me that you are a world-class traveler and you have some <laughs> great perks as a, yeah, as a very director lucky. of golf. <laughs> um, can you share some stories about uh, where you've been and your your membership experiences? Well, again, it starts with, with Woodhill. Um you know, we, we, we were lucky enough to travel. I've been very fortunate to play most of the great golf courses in this part of the world and a lot of them in Europe, uh, a lot of them in Hawaii. And, you know, the great thing about traveling with members is, is you don't always, you know, you guys all know in the business, we're never going to be millionaires, but a lot of times you get to live like one. And mm-hmm. um, that's just, a, it's just a, a wonderful thought process that if we do the right thing and we, we're honest in our thought process and we're honest in our feelings to the people that we take care of and people that we work for, a lot of times they're going to ask you to do a lot of things with them. And so... Mm-hmm. Once again, going back to my love of, of, of being a nerd in organization, I just can't get enough of planning. You know, I, like I said, when yeah. I was growing up, we always went to the bar, not necessarily to have alcoholic beverages or tell lies. We couldn't wait to plan the next time we were going to go to the bar and see each other again. Mm-hmm. And that's just always been my thought process. So taking golf trips was the same way. How can I get in a trip that I can go do it and I can go be with somebody and I can do the thing that I love more than anything with the people I love more than anything. So once I was at Woodhill and started traveling to these places and started to see how great golf clubs are run, I was more interested in the thought process of the organization and facilities that we were visiting. And then I became a huge fan and a huge, you know, student of architecture and why things were done certain ways and why drainage was going certain ways, and why golf courses were routed the way they were. And excuse me, in the way that, that we were doing all this. And I just, I fell in love with the travel aspect of it. And I was just, anytime a member would want me to go somewhere, I went somewhere and mm-hmm. You know, I've been very fortunate. My favorite place in the world, uh, the people are the greatest, is Ireland. I just, I, I would go anytime, any place, anywhere. I think that the, the the golf is the best in the world in Scotland, mm-hmm. and so it's a great way too because the Irish have amazing golf courses. But the warmth of the people and the and the the thought process of you're always part of their family is just something I I just will never understand enough. I'm so thankful when I'm over there. It's just, it's the most stress free place in the world for me, and and Scotland's the same way and. And I just can't get enough of, of walking, playing golf with a caddy on hollowed grounds, things that were moved by, you know, horse and plow and not by bulldozers and excavators. And I just think yeah. there's such a special nature of it all. Mm-hmm. I, I love the quirkiness of it. I love that a ball is not going to bounce the way you're supposed to in today's architecture. It might bounce the other way and <laughs> it might go places it's not supposed to go in today's world. And I just think that that's the great thing. And, you know, my favorite thing in the world is playing golf with a caddy and not keeping score. And what I mean by that is I just want to, I want to pull off the shot that the caddy tells me to hit. That's a plus for me. And I just go plus yeah. and minus. And if I have more pluses than I have minuses, then I, I was under par. And I, I don't care about the score. It's like, okay, hit it 216 to this spot. And then you're going to end up next to the hole. And if you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. And if you get a bad break, it's just part of the way the golf was played over there. And I, I just find that fascinating. And, you know, my favorite place in the continental United States is Bandon Dunes. And Jeff Simons mm-hmm. and his team just does an amazing job. It's one of the most special places in the world 
and now with sheep up there and and they've got five literal world-class golf courses i mean places that you couldn't create many other places i just think that the travel with members is a great perk but i also want to take care of everything i want to make sure the hotel rooms are right i want to make sure the bags are right i want to make sure we have a coach driver that's fun i want to make sure that they never lift a finger i want to make sure that the caddies mm-hmm. are worth having you know and through time john dooley uh who's one of my closest friends in the industry runs a company called concierge golf out of ireland and he does ireland and scotland and you know obviously there's perry and there's car and there's all of the other great tour venues but just to have a concierge and know that when you show up you're greeted and you're welcomed and i get to get them off the bus and i make sure they're you're, you they can't wait to come in and have lunch they can't wait to have a pint they can't wait to experience it the attitudes are so great when when members travel and you're with them and then, you know what, you get a little bit of elegance in life. You see how a dinner is supposed to be held. You see how they conduct themselves. You see how they look when they go out to dinner. You see so much about the, the way they carry themselves. I just always took that to heart. I wanted to make sure that I understood the people that I worked for. And you guys know better than any. If you want to know someone, travel with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Spend four mm-hmm. hours on a bus with them. Right. You, you'll get to know what their true personalities are as much as you will when you play golf with them. So I just found it such a great way to get ingrained into the club. And, you know, here I sit at Rolling Hills and I've been a lot of places and I've been lucky to be with a lot of people. And I'm telling you, no club in the world likes to travel more than this one. I mean, we're oh, going yeah. 18 days to Ireland next year. We spent 17 in Scotland. That's We've got awesome. New Zealand in the way. You know, we, we go to Hawaii. We canceled seven trips this year because of COVID. Yeah. We had seven different trips booked uh, to different places and all with different people. So, you know, Blair leaves tomorrow. Blair's going to play Bally Neal in Sand Hills. I know. And Ugh. he's going. So, I mean, we're so lucky that people want to include us. And, you know, it's like I've told Janelle and I tell Robert and I tell Anthony and anybody else that I work with. It's like, these are the things that offset what it means to be part of a true culture. And what I mean by that is, is that you have to know the end game. And the end game is their happiness, their experience, your presentation. Mm-hmm to make sure that what they want is what they want. And, and it's my job to learn that. And then more importantly, my job is to get the hell out of the way that people run in the place like Blair and Janelle and Kevin and everybody else, and just feed them with the information and the details that allow them to do their job. And I don't do much else. I'm not one of these people to micromanage, I'm not getting in the way of things. But when you travel with someone, I promise you, I'm going to be the first one at the bus. I'm going to be the last one off. And when Blair and I travel together, we work and one of us is responsible. We're out with them. We make sure that we're available by cell phone. If there's something that cancels, we're going to get them something else. Or if they want to play more golf, yeah. we're going to find it. Yeah. You know, if we're going to take them and make sure they need laundry service, we're going to figure out a way. That's one of the perks of being able to travel with them. But you want to make sure you get asked back. You want to be part of that. And traveling is an amazing part of being a golf professional because you get to see what shapes. I always say from east to west, the further west you go, the more you can see what the east did shape it. And by that, I mean, when you're in the UK or you're in Ireland and you see the way those golf courses are built and the way the clubhouses are constructed, mm-hmm. and you go to the east coast and you can see how it was brought over. And then you go to the Midwest and you can kind of see the expansion of it all and bigger buildings and bigger land areas. And then you get to the west coast and it's completely different, you know. And so there's just so many different offerings that travel has. And, and the members are such a great asset to who we are and what we do that I can't get enough of being with them away from work because that's when you really get the true relationships of, of who you're going to be close with. Right. I can definitely say that start since I've worked at Rolling Hills, like I've learned um, someone had mentioned to me that it's about anticipation and like learning how they are and learning their, you know, 
their mannerisms or like their personality throughout the day. So it's nice that you can, you can kind of see that too, when you guys travel, you can kind of anticipate certain things, right? When you guys are traveling slash working. Well, you hear me say it every day, reactionary is death, anticipatory is the only way to live your life. And if you're yeah. not anticipating and you're not trying to be three strokes ahead, then you're really not trying as hard as you could to be the end result. And so having a long range plan, having a goal, both intermediate, short term, long term, whatever it is, there's something you've got to work towards. And I've always been told, and I'll never forget Phil Reith, you know, 47 years at Woodhill and comes from one of the royal families of, of golf and the Reith family. And it's just like, he always said to be anticipatory is to know what they're going to do before they know they want it. And there's just no other way around that. So when you know someone's going to come, if you know someone plays on a Tuesday morning, pull their bag. It doesn't matter if they mm -hmm. play or not. You can always put it back. But go through the effort of having it out there. You know, make sure the clubs are clean when you pull a bag. Make sure that you understand what it means to, to, to do those little things because eventually the little things just become habit and habits become a really good way to live your life as a golf professional. As long as you understand when to break them because they're not advantageous anymore, it's just a huge part of it. So that anticipatory thing is such a huge aspect of what we do, uh, especially now use social media platform. You know, if you're available and you put something out there to allow someone to feel as though something down the road is going to happen, you really have a way to make a sale. You might have a way to make a lesson, you know, just look at the instructors of the world, the way that they use social media on the future or on the come of how they're going to go about their life and what they're trying to push or what they're selling. And the results are there. That's what you're going to fall for. And so it's just, there's so many different ways to use it to the power of good. I agree completely. Okay. Let's see, you have a bunch of other awards under your belt, but I think the most impressive one that we saw was earning the Callaway Staff Pro of the Year Award. Was that something that you kind of like, like anticipated or like, you know? No, I had no idea, you know, and, and again, there's a video out there and it was, it was funny because one of my closest friends in the world, uh, Luke Williams, uh, is one of the guys at Odyssey. And Luke mm -hmm. has been a long, long, he met him in San Diego Golf Academy. He's been a friend of mine since 1993. And he knew I was going to win and, and, and he didn't even know until that day because nobody would tell him because they thought I'm sure he'd tell me. Mm -hmm. And so we had no clue. I went down there and it was the national sales meeting. And it's like, I just mm -hmm. kind of got to see that was the launch of Epic. So oh, we're going to okay. do all this for, this is Epic flash at this point when they did it. So they're taking Epic talking supercomputers and you have all this stuff that golf professionals can't get enough of. And we're sitting there. So we go to the awards dinner and all of a sudden, everybody's there announcing and, and Brian Smock, uh, another great human being in the world and great golf professional, great player, one player of the year. And then they go to announce the professional of the year mm -hmm. and Rob Chase gets up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to win. Cause I'm the only person from the Southern California region. I'm like, wow, I didn't expect that. And they start going over the numbers because we just opened up obviously rolling Hills at that point and, and right. Epic and, and rogue. And then into Epic flash was such a huge part of our business since we've opened uh, mm -hmm. sales were pretty good. And we did some amazing things as a team. And because of that, and the relationships that we formed with some of the administrative people there and some of the things we've done Callaway, and as you know, our director of instruction, Devin Bonebreak, has um, his, his instructional building is wrapped with Callaway, and we, we, we feature Callaway, and we, did, you know, we both have done some commercials, and we've really kind of had some of their top people up and their executives for some of the meet and greets, and they've had dinners and played golf. And, you know, for me, as I said the day we wanted, it's a partnership. You know, you've got to have a company that you're going to be willing to be a partner with so that you both win, you know, and, and I think that there aren't a lot of lessons that I want to pass on because I don't think I have that many to pass on. But one of them is if you're a partner with somebody who's really good to you and you return that favor, it's amazing how long that partnership can last. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think Callaway is a perfect example because for me, 
42 years of my life, I only ever played ping. I never played a single golf court. Another mm. golf course in my life. I played I2s, transitioned to I5s. That's all I ever played. And then when mm. I took the job at Rancho Santa Fe, ping being a Phoenix company, yeah. um, they wanted a, a Carlsbad company. So through Luke and through Chip Brewer, who was kind enough to extend a master staff professional deal, and they kind of let me walk right into it. And from that point, I was forever grateful. And, you know, we've, we've used everything that we possibly could. And then it just was the perfect storm at Rolling Hills because we opened up and I mean, the first demo day we had in November, I mean, Genomas, we did $81,000 oh yeah. worth of Callaway equipment in one demo day. That was I mean, insane. It, it, they've been closed for three years. They were just thirsty to buy something new. Everybody <laughs> wanted new. Yep. But still, I still, not that I've worked at many clubs, but I just feel like our club sells so many sets like every every year like there's still people buying so much it's crazy well and the technology has a lot to do with it too you know mm -hmm. it's it's very much sim it's very similar to the ski industry is that when parabolic skis started it, it just changed how people ski there's no reason to be on flat skis anymore golf has changed that and you know Callaway's at the forefront of that with the supercomputer and all of the things mm -hmm. that come through the design aspect of it the boundaries are being pushed so quickly all because of the golf ball you know, in the golf ball now, it, as you guys know, it goes through the wind. It goes through elements. It just does things that there's nothing it would have done five years ago. Mm -hmm. It really is. And, and it, it's changed the way people play the game. So now high is a desirable shot. When I grew up, everything was hit low. And <laughs> it just, it changes the shape pattern. And, you know, look at, just, just look at Phil. I mean, go back and watch Phil's game from oh, 15, yeah. 20 years ago and look at it now. I mean, not only look at him, look what he's done to accent his body to totally. become better for the golf ball and the golf club. And that's all on the forefront. And so for me, if you have a great facility, start with an amazing range, which we have because we got to build it three years ago, who gets to do that, mm -hmm. then have a great instructional program like we do with David and Devin. And then from that point, have a great assistance team, Blair, Kevin, Janelle, Robert, Anthony, all people who are qualified to sell, who know technology, who understand shaft upgrades, who understand the, the lingo and you know the words that go along to make them feel safe secure and then put it in numbers you've got track man you've got real-time data it's really hard if your membership believes in the club not to make sales and i've just always yeah. tried to preach that since i got to rolling hills it's like let the data show you what's real and from there trust it because it's it's actually a real number and that's so different for a lot of the people that are in their 50s 60s or 70s because that's not the way that, you know, empirically they did things, you know, to them, it was all about feel. What did you see? How did feel. you get there? What was yeah. the common denominator? It's completely gone. Numbers rule the world. I mean, like perfect example is USC plays at Rolling Hills and they all carry track man. Every one of them, every that's one crazy. of them has access to it. Everything yeah. where they change their golf clubs or they change their moves or they change their approaches, the numbers have to show that it's valid or they won't do it or they will do it. And just think about, Hogan and the glory years of Palmer and Nicholas it was all in the dirt, right? Now the dirt reveals the numbers and the numbers push the equipment. And now people like Alan Hocknell at Callaway as the design team for R&D, these guys are pushing things through computers and iterations that would take years are now taking months. And pretty mm -hmm. soon that's going to be days. And now suddenly you're going to realize that, you know, like Epic Flash, when it came out, you're going to feel all these points in the face and everything's going to be different. And yet no matter where you hit it on the face, it still kind of goes in the same direction. Well, that's great for us because while it's wonderful to advertise on tour, what's better than you and I taking care of our membership, improving their game and getting them, especially because they can afford some of this technology, getting them to be the recipients of all of this work of everybody else. It's why demo days and, and good sales reps and people in the field are just invaluable. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
do you think that there's going to be another breakthrough? Because I feel like at this point with clubs um, and technology, everyone's at that same same level. Like, do you think that there's going to be another breakthrough of some sort? Well, I mean, normally I'm I'm not someone who can speak to this because I don't have a degree in a lot of this stuff, but normally you have to go in valleys and cycles. So normally mm-hmm. if you get something that technologically is so good, will the tour roll it back? You know, will they render places like Marion, San Francisco golf, and a lot of these golf courses, Chicago golf, another one, a lot of them, they might be able to hold tour events because they just can't get it long enough. So do they roll it back so that the great architecture of the world is still applicable or do they have to, you know, like look at Shinnecock, or excuse me, look at um, Wingfoot. You know, you saw a whole different level of game in a golf course that was supposed to be bomb and gouge proof. Yeah. It's just going to show you that science and data will always win. So I'm, I'm curious to see what the USGA and the RNA are going to do to kind of see if it cycles back down to the bottom of the wave before they come back up or if it just continues to ascend up. I think golfers themselves will absolutely, I think Bryson will change a lot of the thought process yeah. Obviously, you know, you've got people like Brooks and Dustin who are just gifted athletically, who are really big recipients of the golf ball and the, the fact that they just don't move it. If they do, it's one shape. It's never two shapes. And, you know, these guys can all put it into play. And from that point, the best in the world are always going to be the best in the world. They're never going to take that away from them. So I'm interested in the cycle of technology to know, you know, I guarantee you that Callaway right now is three years ahead on product and they can't believe what's going to be coming out in 2025. You know, they can't believe what's going to be on the, on the horizon as they were with Epic and Epic Flash and all of the new advancements. But I'm not sure what more can be done. You know, I mean, footwear, mm-hmm. grips, shafts. I mean, we're at a point where it's coming so quickly in the performance of all of so this. Quick. I mean, just, I mean, look yeah. at the clothing on tour. I mean, just look at the way these guys so dress now. now. It can be so hot. Nothing is not giving. Nothing is not supportive everything's going to be a cool weather feel like it's going so quickly that all I want to do is get it in my members hands, which is why I think sales are so great right now because there's such a great opportunity to better yourself in this game. But I don't know, honestly, I just don't know what I'm sure something's out there for those that are really smart, but I'm anxious to see what it is because it's, 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 I'm one of these guys. I want everybody to benefit from technology. I don't want anybody to roll back balls clubs or anything at least at our level at the club level i don't care what they do on tour that's a different level for everybody but for us i've never seen more people enjoying the game because it's never been easier and more fun to play i agree yeah a lot different now but it's good it's it's gotten a lot different in the past two years um, yeah, I mean, just look at agronomy. I mean, look at the way that these guys roll ball. I mean, look at the green. Look at the fact that you can oh, get yeah. bent grass to, I mean, just so many things are leading to so such low scores. And it's just kind of the, the best way to fun to watch. It's fun to be part of. And I hope we can ride this as long as humanly possible so that the members mm-hmm. continue to grow the game. And, you know, obviously it's way different at a public course than it is a private course. I mean, there's just two different demands. But for us at the high-end private, which is where I work, I know our memberships never enjoyed the game more. I know that the scores are, are good and the repeatability of what they do is better because the equipment and all that stuff leads to the same thing over and over. And I mean, our, just look at Devin, you know, our director of instructions booked 21 days out. I mean, we're going to have to hire a third instructor going down there because we are so many people are so thirsty to take advantage of all of this that it's just mm-hmm. a great time to be in golf. Yeah, that's definitely, all the uh, advancements have definitely kept the... Uh, the the members and the longevity of players in the game for mm-hmm. a lot longer. Um, okay, so I know that you said that Rolling Hills is pretty much you, you want to stay there for 
a long time. What mm-hmm. what is next for you? So what's next on the horizon as far as Rolling Hills? You know, it's it's funny you say that because I try and talk to all of the team um, as often as I can about what you should have as wants, wishes, and dreams. And, you know, mine right now is I'm putting a lot of time and, and, and a lot of effort into myself. Um, I've put so mm-hmm. much effort into what I've done professionally. I'm really trying to take the time to kind of change the way I took care of my body, the way I took care of my mind, uh, the way I take care of my mm-hmm. sleep. Um, I'm trying to do so much more to, to, to make sure, let's like you were talking about the longevity. I want to be part of that. And I've always noticed that everybody, you know, works at a golf club in our industry or, or work with golf. The more people age, the, the ones that keep playing, I find are fitter and stronger. And they've always put it as a priority to be part of it. And then it really opened my eyes when USC became members at our club and to watch the training methods and to watch what the best in the world are now doing at the collegiate level and then transitioning into the professional level. And you just see the amount of things that aren't golf related. You know, it's, it's not golf all of the time. I mean, these people are doing mm-hmm. yoga and they're doing hit training and they're doing strength training. And, you know, I use one of my favorite examples of the world. One of my favorite human beings on the planet is Aaliyah. And, you know, I watch Aaliyah mm-hmm. at USC. She's there every day. She's practicing every day. And that's just part of her day. She's one of the best students on campus. She's one of the best people. She never doesn't come to the golf shop and say thank you. She's, she's lifting weights in the morning. She's physically fit. She's trying to figure out a way to better her mental game. She's traveling. And I see this broad scope of, of what USC does. And then, you know, you watch Justin Sub, who started a couple of years ago at the club, and you see the transition. And, you know, and you take that foursome of Matt Wolf and Colin and, and um, Victor, Victor, and uh-huh. you see these guys. And it's like, does, they've all got different paths. I mean, Colin's a major champion, and you see these things so quickly. And Justin's not on that same path, but you watch them daily. They don't stop the regimen. And I think that the fact that they put so much time into their own identity and their own thought process that I think that when you're kind of an independent thinker and you continue to read and you continue to keep up what it is you want to be, I think it's way easier to be a good golf professional. I just think that if you get lost mm-hmm. in the minutia of constantly worrying about pace of play or constantly worrying, and trust mm-hmm. me, I'm, I'm good at worrying, but I know that there's <laughs> got to be a break from all of that. And how do I take care of myself so that I'm a better golf professional when I drill through the gates every day? And I, I, you know, it's kind of a corny thing and Janelle's heard it a bunch, but as long as my key card works every morning, I won. That's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. And when I get to go through and I get to go into the shop and I get to go into my office, if I take care of myself and I have a healthy relationship with myself and a healthy relationship away from the golf club, I feel like I'm going to have a much better relationship with Janelle and Blair and all the people that I work with, because I think you're going to get to see personalities come out. And when you see people stressed and you see people pushing the envelope for other reasons, they're usually a little less than effective at their job at that day. And I'm lucky. I I have all of my life where I want it to be. And I I, kind of have this awakening and it's like, Oh, wow, you get to put time in yourself. And you know, one of the things that I've really rediscovered is reading. I didn't realize how much I missed reading and how much you get from it. And, you know, I love to listen to fiction, but I love to read and touch nonfiction. I love to learn. And those are just things that, let's be honest, 10 years ago, weren't even on my radar. I was just so worried mm-hmm. about being the best and making sure the quarry and my relationship in everybody's life was, hey, if they're happy, then you know what? I'm probably happy too. And it's like, that's not the case anymore. If I'm not personally where I need to be, then I'm not the best that I can be for everybody else. And it took me a long time to learn that lesson, but that's kind of where my headspace is now. And you know, with COVID and, and everything that we're going through and all of the heartache and, you know, from unbelievable political debates yeah. to social mm-hmm. media pressings to, 
you know, Black Lives Matter and all the racial injustices and all of the things that are taking over the, the headlines, I still think there has to be a little bit of time in your life where it's just you and your own head and being comfortable with that thought process so that when you tackle all the things that things are being thrown at us, how we react to them. Again, there's that anticipatory thing to be ready in the morning, to get the right amount of sleep, to do the right things that's best for you. I just think it's really changed how I thought about it. And you learn so much. And, and, and one of my favorite things about being a director of golf or being a head professional is you get to work with youth. There's so much energy from assistance. People in their people in their 20s and 30s, whether it be caddies or outside service agents or even you know your assistant team, and as they grow into their 30s and early 40s and they start to figure out what they want to do, you don't get energy like you get that from people that are your own age. You get yeah. a different vibe and a different thought process. It, it can be whatever it is, but I love listening to Janelle or to Anthony or to Robert. People tell stories about what they did over the weekend or they played on a Monday, <laughs> what they experienced, and they're living the life of something that they still find kind of to be new and, and sexy and original because it's, it's, they haven't done what I've done. And I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to ever be me. I want them to be themselves and grow into the world that's going to be best for them. And if you have great mentors and that's what directors of golf are to me, they mentor not only the membership, but they mentor the people they work with. If they just let you be you and they understand your strengths. And then when it comes time to make a career decision, you got to push them in that way. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be very long before we lose our head professional because he's just too talented not to be his yeah. own director of golf. But it's going to be on his own time. I'm not going to tell him where to go or what to do. I'm going to tell him if I think it's a right fit. And if so, how can I help him? And, you know, if you have the right team, somebody's going to step into that role. And I think that's that headspace that I'm in now. I'm not worried about losing anyone. I'm not protective or possessive. I just really want to promote as much as I can. And you find that the club becomes the recipients of, of goodwill from that. I think that's a great answer. I, you know, we've, we always ask this question, like what's on the, on the horizon for you. Mm -hmm. And we haven't had this response before. And I think that it's, it's great. It's very insightful that you said something like that, because I think it's so important, um, especially just taking care of yourself. Um, that way you can take care of others better as well. And I think mental health right now is just so important, especially at our time at this time, like you said, with COVID and everything happening right now, as well as physical health too. Um, I can't, I think, I, I think it all is under the umbrella of health and just being able to take care of yourself that way, you know, you can be a better mentor to others. You know, well, and, and, you know, you do it the right way. And, and only thing I've ever been taught by people that are a lot better at this than I am is words or action, you know, words or thoughts and, and actions are what you really live by it. If you do the things and, and if, if the team sees me do certain things a certain way and I'm dressed a certain way and I talk to membership a certain way and you can kind of push the envelope a little bit more the older you get into the business and you can kind of you can push relationships a little harder and you can you can do some inquisitive things with, with members because you have a little bit different relationship, but you hope that people understand that it's always just trying to get the best product. And for me, presentation and experience are everything. I want them to be happy with the presentation that they see mm -hmm. when they first get there. That's the first look. And then what's their experience? And if it's not what we thought it was going to be, how do we fix it? And I think if you equip the people that you work with to fix that and to always be looking and always be in anticipating what's going to be wanted or needed, it's amazing how quickly people adapt. Humans are amazing at that thought process. Nobody is more of a sponge than somebody in their 20s and 30s. They just want mm -hmm. to get better. They've gotten to a point in their life where they're comfortable with what it is they do or who they are. And they really are receptive to that thought process. And that's the fun in me is watching the growth of people as they get into this business, because it's not nearly what it was. You know, it used to be so, so step oriented, you know, you did this, this, and you became this and you retired at this and then honorary member and then boom, everybody moves up. Well, 
that's not the case anymore. You know, a lot of people are getting out. I've, I've got people that work for me that are presidents of banks now that are, you know, selling medical supplies and making way more money than we do and good for them. They figured out that this is not for everybody, especially with the way golf is now. There's not a lot of downtime. So, you know, I've never spent so much time in my own home by myself, but that's because COVID hit and you don't want to get anybody else in a position or predicament that they can't get themselves out of. So to be responsible is to be by a leader and to be a leader is to make sure that you repeat the same thing over and over. So people always believe that what you're trying to get across is actually valid in real life and not something that's just, you know, a little bit hypocritical and just kind of throwing it out there, hoping that it sticks with them because it didn't with you. And I just feel as though you, you really got to put that effort in. Well, you pretty much answered our, um, our closing question with all that consider asking about, um, what's next for you, but self-care, is there any other advice, um, that you want to give to our listeners that want to be a part of the golf industry? Well, I think if anybody wants to be in the golf industry, learn, read, mm-hmm. absorb, put the time in, do all the things you can possibly do to be what you want to be in. It's not for everybody. You know, it's, it's right. not what it once was. It was such an amazing rise as an assistant because I got to do things that were practical. Like I said, I did my books with pen and paper while I was at work, while I was learning, and I was actually using what was there and putting into real life. And so for me now, you know, you, you know, better than anybody, you're just going through the process. And, you know, my job mm-hmm. is to make sure that you understand why you should want to do that. I don't want to tell right. you how I'm going to show you by action, but I don't want to tell anybody how to do it. I want people to get into it because there's a passion and, you know, you hear the same thing and I'm not going to do the, Hey, you know, you never work a day in your life and you love what you do. That's, that's not my point. My point is, is do you love who you are and how you do it? And if you do, you're going to be successful with anything. And I've been so floored um, by the USC program and it's, it's, I don't mean to keep going there, but it's just like, they've taught so much. Like Gabby is a perfect example of what's happened. I mean, three years from meeting her to now. I mean, that's not even the same person. And you're talking someone that's in their late teens and now early twenties. And just think of the amount of growth from one human being, or look at Justin's, uh, you know, I mean, just, just look at the coaches and look how far people are coming, you know, and one of my favorite coaches in collegiate golf is Conrad Ray with Stanford. You just see the way that the tech, the tactician of what people do and how they do it. I just think there's so much to learn from that, you know, Coaching is so different. You know, look at, you guys had Dana mm-hmm. on, but then look at George Gankus and then go down the road and look at Butch Harmon from what he's done over time with his brother, Bill, and that whole story of how they taught versus what's being taught now and the mm-hmm. athleticism of what George is doing versus, you know, like someone like Devin, who's so proficient at track man and putting people in the proper positions to understand how it, you know, equates to better golf. There's just so many different paths. I would hate to have somebody pigeonhole themselves into one thing. I think that would be crazy. I think golf allows the beauty and the artistic nature mm-hmm. of it all. I think golf's one of those very rare sports that you don't have to follow any destruct, you know, nobody's swing looks like Matt Wolf, just like nobody's swings look like, you know, look like Davis Love or Justin Thomas. I mean, there's so many different ways to get the impact. I think being a golf professional is the same way. I think everybody has this magic thing inside of them that if you really truly pull it out, um, I think it's something that you'll never lose. And for me, that was organization. That was presentation. Mm-hmm. And that was always my strength. I wanted to make sure that, the shop looked better than anybody else's or the, the tournament mm-hmm. presentation when they walked in did that first experience. That was my love. But, you know, down the road, I had worked with a golf professional who was so good at the business aspect of managing the budgets. And I wasn't, and I took everything I could from him so that it made me a better golf professional down the road. Because now when I do budgets, I use his template. I use what he taught me. And I think that there's so much of that inter that intertwined thought that we all kind of want the same product. 
but nobody does it the same way. And, and I tell everybody, and Janelle could vouch for this every day, you do your own thing. Just make sure you're on time. Make sure you want to be there and make sure that when you leave, you feel like you, you, did, you left it a better place. And right. I think if you do those things, it's not hard. It's actually very, very fun. And, you know, social media has, has really pushed our business because it's so easy to be negative. You know, in a, in a Yelp world, it's mm-hmm. easy to walk away and say it sucked today. And it's like, did it or did your attitude towards it? I agree. It's just a different way to look at it. So yeah. I don't want to ever preach to anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody in that way. I just want people to find their happiness because I think when you truly do, uh, it's a, it's been a beautiful business. I wouldn't want to ever be anything else other than about profession. That's awesome. Oh man. I always love hearing you talk. <laughs> well, God knows I do it a lot. So I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. No, it's great. It's all it's great. It it's all great stuff. Yeah. I just, again, passion shows. It always will. Yeah. Everybody will be able to see passion versus non-passion. It's just, it's, it's, it's unhideable. And I think that when you really start to look at all of the aspects of what our game gives us, especially now, you know, everything's in a resurgence. So we talked about cycles earlier. You know, mm-hmm. we're at the top of that wave now. I have no idea. I don't see it dying for a while. I don't see people going back to offices for a while. So how are we going to do this in short light? You know, how are we going to do this with less opportunity? And, you know, that's, those are the things we've got to figure out. And, you know, how do we convey to the membership? This is all part of camaraderie and fellowship that mm-hmm. we're all in this together. You know, those are things that we have to push forward. So everybody still has this great pride and want to be at their own club. And I think when people love their club, what a great, great opportunity is at all professional to be there. Yeah. So. Definitely. Well, Derek, thank you so much for your time tonight. Of course. We appreciate it. Definitely no, eye-opening. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> Thank you so much. I don't know about that, but but it is what it is. And you know what, more importantly, thanks for having me on. I always love doing this. Uh, anytime I can ever help, just ask. Thank you. We appreciate right. it. We'll keep in contact with you. So. All right. Have a great night. You too, Derek. Thank you. Thank you. That was Derek Lane. If you're interested in learning more about him, please visit rollinghillscc.com. Thanks for listening. You can follow along with us on our Apple Podcasts and Instagram. So go ahead and subscribe now. Also, leave us any feedback by sending an email to info at thetakeawaygolf.com. Catch you guys again next week.